I'm Kate. And I'm Jesse. And you're listening to Cocktails and Content Creation. <laughs> Let's do this. What fills up your joy meter or what comes naturally to you? I think too many entrepreneurs are trying to swim upstream instead of just going with the flow of what they're naturally good at. Welcome to Cocktails and Content Creation, the podcast dedicated to helping you easily create content with confidence. I'm Kate Andrews. And I'm Jesse Wyman. Welcome back to another episode of Cocktails and Content Creation. This is episode 73. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening? We would love to know what you think. For today's episode, we're chatting about how to cure shiny marketing tactic syndrome, which I obviously need help with because I zoned out there for a second on something that was shiny in my closet right now. Uh, But before we go any further and get into the good stuff, Jesse, what are you drinking today? I am drinking a Moscow Mule. You know, we're recording this in May. It's finally starting to feel like summer. So I busted Uh, out the copper mugs and uh, made myself a little Moscow Mule. It's going to be 90 this weekend. I know. I cannot believe it. I am. Although they said it's going to feel like 100. So we were actually chatting last night, Alex and I, about do we get out the ACs? Mm. And historically, I would be like, no, because I'm, I'm really I don't really like air conditioning that much. But if it's going to feel like 100, I know like he's he does not like the heat. And I'm like, if we don't do the air conditioning, I have a feeling that somebody's going to be very hot all weekend. And I'm like, all right, well, let me, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess if we put them in, it doesn't mean we have to use them on the days that it's not right. too warm because we are supposed to be dipping into the 60s again. This yes. is this is just New England for you people, by the way. If you know mm-hmm. if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. It's, it's inevitably going to change. Um, so yeah, Moscow Mule sounds mm. really, really good right now. Yes. All right. Well, I'll join you in on that, but before we before we get drunk on the show, <laughs> <laughs> let's uh let's get into our discussion with our guest, Kay Putnam. Kate Putnam is a psychology-driven brand strategist that has worked with public speakers from TEDx, writers with hot-selling books, and many other clients in various industries, ranging from real estate to coaching. She helps entrepreneurs from around the world define and build their brands using their beliefs, personality, and timeless archetypes to define their core message. Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Kate and Jesse. I am thrilled to be here and to geek out about content and branding and everything in between. Well, that's you're on the right show then, because that's what we geek out about and we love it. But first off, before we get into all that great stuff, this is cocktails and content creation. So we must start off with what are you drinking today? I am drinking my favorite caffeinated beverage, which is Yerba Mate at the moment. Mm. It's my jam. Your bum? Yerba? Oh, it's like your mate. bum? <laughs> delicious. <laughs> you can tell where no, my mind is from, at. <laughs> I believe it comes from Argentina originally, but this one's, uh, you know, the exotic store of Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. Yes. That, I was just going to say, Jesse, <laughs> next time you go to Whole Foods, you can check that out. I, I tried to get into that. Like they had it at the little bodega down from down, like at the bottom floor of my dorm in college. And I tried to get into it and it was like really good, but it was also really expensive. So it was like mm. a treat every once in a while. And I haven't had probably one in not years. in the budget of a college student at that point. Well, I think it was like 
three or four bucks for like a bottle. <laughs> and that was like in 2007 yeah. or something like that. So, you know, it was expensive. <laughs> yes. That was before inflation. But um, I'm mm-hmm. sure it's probably a lot, even even with Whole Foods prices, I'm sure it's probably a lot more reasonable at Whole Foods than it was at this little bodega. So, well, that that's that is a very you're getting a jolt of caffeine from that. So you'll be ready for all of our, our rapid fire questions. Not really. We're not rapid fire at all, <laughs> uh, especially not today. Anyway, so I gave a little bit of a spiel of what of, you know, what you do. Um, but let's get a little deeper into this. Tell us in your own words, your journey and what it is that you do. Mm. So I graduated from college with a marketing degree, psychology minor, and I started working at a bunch of digital marketing agencies and was approaching everything with this marketing hammer. It's like every problem that there was, I just need the perfect marketing strategy. And quickly I realized both in traditional marketing, I started in radio, and then later in digital marketing agencies, completely online, that sometimes the marketing strategies worked fantastic. You would you know, follow all of the best practices and it was great. And you would get ROI and everybody was happy. And then for other clients, you would run a very similar campaign in terms of the structure, the mechanics, all of those things, the reach, the frequency, et cetera. And it just didn't work. And that was painful and heartbreaking as a young marketing professional. I realized soon after that it wasn't so much the marketing techniques or tactics that were making the difference. It was this underlying factor, which is the brand. So I've since gone out on my own. My online business is now nine years old. I feel like a grandma in online business years. And I have been a psychology-driven brand strategist since then. So I like to say that I help people build their brand on truth, not trends. I love that. Truth, not trends that's Mm -hmm. and especially in a world right now where it is trends seem to be you know we're picking trending audio for reels and all that kind of stuff that is quite enlightening and a little refreshing i have to say so one follow-up question to that and we talk about this a lot in our podcast is making that transition from corporate to on your own because there's a lot of listeners here that might be wanting to do the same what was that like for you and was, you know, was, were you, was that the end goal? Um, and anything you want to just add to that? Personally, I don't know if I'll have a great example to follow because I had to do it out of necessity. My husband at the time was in the military, which meant that we were going to be moving every two years. And this was back in like 2010. So we're still recovering from that 2008 recession that happened right when I graduated from college. And I realized really quickly that I didn't want to have to interview or just have to work with somebody else in that context where I needed flexibility. Plus we had just had our first child and just was craving more agency over my life. So I got started. I wasn't an overnight success by any means. I think I made like a hundred dollars in the first six months of my business and I needed this work for myself. So I, I'm extremely privileged and lucky that I had a partner that had kind of a full-time job to to cushion that move. But at the same time, it's the best thing that I've ever decided to do, you know, whether it was necessity or or by choice. I'm so glad that it happened because it's given me more opportunities than I could ever imagine. And I've been able to run my business from Hawaii, from Italy, and we're living in North Carolina now. So it's 
grown and evolved with me. Was it a, was it a point was, were you taking on part-time clients? Was it like a side hustle at first or literally did you go from corporate to like literally no of none of your own clients to building that? Mm, That's a really great question. I started by tapping into what I like to call OPA, other people's audiences, audiences or groups of people that already exist. So I was searching the job boards for freelance gigs that had my particular set of skills that led to more and more clients. It led to um, actually that, that digital marketing agency that I referenced in my intro came from just replying to some random freelance copywriting project on one of the freelance websites. And it turned into a steady source of projects and leads and revenue for my first year before I transitioned out of that and completely went out on my own. That's good to know. I I think a lot of people, you know, like to hear that it's possible and starting that with just the side hustle, you know, so many people I see online, I can't wait to quit my full-time job. At what point is it good? So it's, you know, it sounds like you were kind of planning that and making that transition for about a year before then you went Mm -hmm. out completely on your own. Okay, great. I also, I also think that was a really interesting point to bring up because like, I've never thought of the fact that, you know, you marry into the army and you're going, you know, you, as you said, you knew you were going to be changing locations like every two years. I feel like a lot of, um, army wives, army husbands, like almost operate at a loss in some ways, because I mean, granted you obviously choose to be this person, but then as you said, like every two years, you know, you're going to be changing location. Like, how are you supposed to, you know, take a job just knowing that in a couple of years, you're going to have to move on to another location. So that was, that was a really great, I mean, as you said, out of necessity, but a great way to kind of work it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, now is easier than ever Yes, to yeah. piece together an online income. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's an incredible opportunity for anybody that needs more freedom, more time, more flexibility. All of those things are possible when you're working for yourself may not happen overnight, but it's definitely possible. Well, to that point, so many people, or at least maybe, maybe the ads are just targeting, you know, me because I'm an entrepreneur, but we see so Mm. many other things. These things are bombarded with do this, make 10 grand, do that make five grand, do that. You know, we start to, even as an entrepreneur, when I have a pretty good strategy in place, we start to like say, well, what if I did this? Or, Ooh, if I just buy that new workflow system, it's going to solve all my problems. Or, you know, I'm going to do this. Like, so I know the topic of today's discussion is about this shiny marketing tactics syndrome and, you know, how to cure that, you know, going from one to another, to another. And so, um, why don't we go ahead and dive into that and, if you want to talk to us about, you know, what is this shiny marketing tactic syndrome? And let's start there. Yeah. A little bit of a mouthful, right? But I think it's something that we all suffer from. It is exactly what you said. It's this tendency that entrepreneurs have partly because of our personality tendencies, because we're risk takers, because we're creative humans. Oftentimes we love novel things. We love new things. The human brain in general loves new things. It's what we pay attention to. And I discovered really early on that I needed to find a way to filter all these decisions that I was making because I was not making traction early on. I was trying to be 
everything to everyone. And looking back at that stage of my business, it feels kind of like these awkward, pimply teenage years in my business where I was trying on all of these different identities and different strategies and not giving any of them a chance to work and not deciding on any of them with a great system. So I have found an antidote to this this conundrum that we entrepreneurs get ourselves in. And we can talk about that in a moment. Um, It happened through this like rabbit hole, serendipitous following like random internet links. I stumbled on this tool that I use to this day called brand archetypes. Brand archetypes are these patterns that show up in movies, in the aisles of the grocery store, in brands, and in humans. They're cross-cultural and they're timeless. So they're connected to these very universal human values. And the interesting thing about knowing what your brand archetype is, is that you can use it as a filter when you're making decisions about what to create, how to show up, how to look in your brand in a way that's going to connect with people on a very deep gut emotional level. So that's been my antidote to this shiny object syndrome that can happen. So to so many of us entrepreneurs. Interesting. And so why do you, I mean, we talked about entrepreneurs, like, I don't know, but this could apply outside of entrepreneurs, right? I mean, I'm assuming this sort of thing could, could apply. I mean, even, even maybe like large companies and brands or even just I don't know the average human where it's like, oh, that's a cute dress. Like, I want to buy that. Well, that's we gonna... <laughs> ads push at us like all the time. I mean, every single social media platform has ads now. You know, you're scrolling through and you see an ad every couple of photos, and you're like, oh yeah, that's a cool product. You know, or you know, pop ups online. It's like we just have ad- TV just ads thrown at us like all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. 100%. And our brain, we have this amazing ability to filter content or like to filter what we're paying attention to. So one of the things that you can do as an entrepreneur is to decide in advance what you're going to pay attention to so that you're not distracted by everything. And one of the ways you can do that is with the archetypes. Another way that you can do that is to have a larger framework that you're applying your content marketing strategy to. So I have this framework that I use that I call brand gravity. And really there's only three systems that you need to create in your brand, in your business to make the whole system work. And once you know that it gives you the freedom and the ability to ignore everything else. So if you know that you have your three systems, then you can ignore that ad. It's not going to pop up into that, like, um, just the front part of your brain that's like, hey, hey, you know, you need to pay attention to me because you've already decided. Uh, I think the Latin root of the word decide is to cut away, right? Like we can just leave the rest of the decision. So those three systems, because I'm sure people are asking, okay, okay, get it. Let's let's talk about what those are. Uh, you need a system to um, to attract. So you need to get in front of cold audiences, people who have no idea who you are. You need a system to nurture, so to build trust and relationships, especially online, because it's naturally a low trust environment. So we need to find a way to build up our credibility with the people that do come into contact with us. And then finally, we need a system to sell. So like to actually convert somebody who is in our audience to a paying client or customer. And 
you can, once you decide what those three systems are for you, then you have like my complete permission and plea to just stop paying attention to all of the other options that you could do for those three systems. That makes a lot of sense. I feel like being able to like almost ground yourself and yeah, in like the strategies that you're going to focus on. It's, I feel like a couple of years ago, I was very much in like the shiny syndrome mode. And now I'm like, okay, no, like I have a system like, and I actually just like say that, but now that I'm like saying it, it's like exactly what you're telling me to do and and having this system like, oh yeah, no, I don't need that right now. Like I don't like just, I don't need that right now. Like I have that going or no, I don't need that. Why do I like, it's almost like self, I don't know, you're, you're self auditing, right. At Mm -hmm. at that very moment. And like, you know, thinking, okay, is that, is that really going to like make my life better in any way, you know, according to getting in front of those audiences and, you know, nurturing your leads and selling, like if you're doing all of those things and doing it well, I I think Mm -hmm. there's really like, there's still that, like, because there's a psychology behind them selling to you. You're like, oh yeah, like that sounds amazing. But you're like, well, wait, like, do I actually, like, I have those systems already. Like I, I don't necessarily need it. Um, So, okay. So when we're thinking about, you know, these systems in our content creation, because this podcast is all about trying to help with content creation and a lot of, you know, marketing is like, you know, there's paid strategies and organic marketing and content marketing, you know, how can, how does this affect our content creation? What can we do to, um, to make sure that that doesn't get, we don't get stuck. Mm -hmm. I think one of so like I said, we can make decisions in advance. One of the decisions that we're going to make is what we're going to talk about, what stories we're going to tell, how we're going to look. So our brand, the foundation of our brand and that work answers so many questions down the road. If you do it first, it's a little bit of the chicken and the egg thing. So you don't want to spend a ton of time building your brand before you validated what you're offering and what you're selling. But once you have an offer that works and you know that some people are going to buy it, to me, that's the time where you step back and start building out the foundation of your content marketing strategy, which is your brand. Like I said, if you know what your brand archetypes are, you can have a bit of a shortcut to decide some of those things. So it can point you towards color palettes that are going to communicate what your brand stands for. It can point towards like symbolism or metaphor or story that you can use to strike that particular emotional chord in people that you're trying to do. So making those decisions. I actually have an entire, what I call a brand source book. It's like brand standards on steroids. It's this web-based site where anybody on my team, myself or my contractors can go there to just grab our color codes, to grab specific language that we use in our marketing, to see everything that the brand stands for. And by passing all of our content through that system, through the system of the brand, there's just less decisions to make. So that would be the first thing that I would do. And then when it comes to deciding on those three marketing systems, those three content systems, it to me is a lot to do with what fills up your joy meter or what comes naturally to you. I think too many entrepreneurs are trying to swim upstream instead of just going with the flow of what they're naturally good at. So when you're thinking about okay, how am I going to nurture people or how am I going to create content? A lot of the answers I've found, the ones that are sustainable over a long time are, what am I good at? Am I good at speaking? Am I good at showing up on video? Am I good at creating you know, like funny little clips? 
what actually lights me up? Because that's going to be the thing that I'm going to be able to stick with for a long period of time. It makes a lot of sense. And we've heard it before, you know, why, why create content for a platform or in a way or a method that just like, you're just like, Oh my gosh. Like if you really just prefer talking over writing, like do stories, do reels, like have that auto captioned. (laughs) You don't have to write it. Well, it kind of relates back to like that idea of zone of genius thing, like really figuring out what you are, what what rocks your world and kind of focusing on that as what would you suggest? So say somebody is like just starting their online business, like really at the very beginning, kind of figuring out um, what products they're going to sell and how they're going, you know, the how they're going to create this brand. What are a couple of, of pieces of advice that you would give to somebody like at that real starting point to say, hey, you know, don't don't get caught up in all of this. How, how would you how would you do that for someone who's really just getting into this? Mm -hmm. I always recommend that people start working backwards from the sale. So whatever you can create closest to actually making a sale is what you should start with. I think too many people start with, okay, I'm going to create this like checklist or this lead magnet, this guide, this thing that is free, but maybe not necessarily super related to the thing that you're ultimately trying to sell. So I always start with, okay, do we have what I call a sales mechanism? Do we have like a sales page? Are you doing sales calls? What is that actual conversation where you're inviting people into the sale? Make sure you're creating stuff around that first. Next, how are you inviting people to that sales mechanism? How are you inviting people to your sales page? How are you inviting people to the sales call? And then do that. And you can keep building out layers as you go and as you evolve and as you grow that are a little bit farther and farther away from the sale to reach people that are colder and colder um, to be able to scale up your business. But especially in the beginning, just start making offers consistently see how that goes. And then you can start to do all of this other like nurturing and lead generation, all these other pieces that everybody tells you that you should do. But a lot of them are busy work until you have the the offer, you know, set up, ready to deliver, ready to accept clients or customers into. Mm, Okay. So tying this back to like your, the idea of this brand archetype, like that kind of like even goes like before that a little bit too, right? Or like how does, and then your system. So it's like, we have this brand archetype that you're talking about and like figuring out that because that can inform, that basically informs like, like all the things within a brand, your colors, your palette, your, your values, like what you stand for, the language, your tone, your personality, all those things. Right. But then you've got, then you've got at the same time, you want to develop these, these systems, you know, so that you can kind of like focus in on what you're going to focus on. So like, at what point, like, is this all happening like all at once or like in a, I guess in a perfect world, what would you say? Yes. In a perfect world, I always start with the offer. It's like, just get a basic idea of what you're trying to sell, put it in front of people that you think might want to buy it. Don't worry as much about the brand. I think that everybody has, and this is like sacrilegious as a brand strategist, right? I'm like, just pause for a second. Yeah. But I, yeah, I think a lot I was of people say that, that that doesn't sound yeah. like what a brand strategist would say. This I'm like, oh. like everything against brand strategy. Like I know anything we've it. heard. All right, <laughs> it's um, 
I just, I know too many entrepreneurs who get stuck in the planning process and who never sell anything because our brand exists in the moments that people come into contact with it. And if you never introduce any piece of content, even if it's imperfect, even if it's not strategic, you don't have a brand yet. So even if you have the most beautiful brand standards in the background, it doesn't exist until we bring it to the world. So it makes more sense to me to make sure that you have a viable business first. Once you have a viable business, your brand is the long-term momentum building asset that's going to create this snowball of results over time, but it only works if you have a good product to sell. So I always start with the offer, prove the offer. Once you have just a decent idea that people are going to buy it, then I shift my attention with my clients over to the brand. This is like opposite so many things that we've heard. But in a lot of ways, it it makes sense because when you're talking about starting a brand, right, there's a lot of money that goes into it because, you know, if, if you really want to do it right, per se, you know, you're hiring somebody to work on your website, you're hiring somebody to help you, you know, figure out brand colors and, you know, the look and the strategy and all this kind of stuff. So having, you know, trying to make these sales right from the get go would help to <laughs> provide that money that you maybe need for the rest of that stuff. Do you think, how, I guess my first, my question in terms of like how that works is how do you create trust to get that sale made right off mm-hmm. the bat? Yes. Again, chicken and the egg, right? I think that mm. a lot of times we can rely on structures that already exist. So for example, we talked about when I first got started, I just went out to a freelance site And I found clients there by applying. So it's like more of this, like going out and getting process that happens in the beginning of your business. You're like sending emails to people. You're reaching out to your network. You are letting people know what you're doing, what you're offering. I would assume, I would hope that you have some type of portfolio or example or um, some some semblance of work that you can show to people. If not, that would be my first step. Like go get some beta clients, prove that you can do what you're saying that you're going to do before you take on paying clients. And then, and it doesn't have to necessarily be exactly the same thing. So I applied for a copywriting gig, even though I'd only done writing in my corporate job. So I hadn't had a copywriting client, but I still got paid for that first copywriting project because I had done copywriting before. I hope that distinction makes sense. But once we once we have that baseline of a few clients that we've worked with, then we start building the brand and it becomes more of an attraction mechanism. So we no longer have to go out and get every client. Clients are being attracted to us through those okay. three systems that we talked about. That may okay, that makes a lot of sense. I think I might have been missing that that step that you were talking about with, you know, having that portfolio in there. And and so basically you're you are you still have some kind of proof going on that this is something that you have worked on and done. You're not just like sending out an email being like, Hey, I have this product and here you go. You know, you actually have the the proof that this is this works. This this is something I've done before. Okay. All right. That was that was my big thing. Okay. I think I take that part for granted sometimes because I, I have, yeah, it's like, you know, I hope just, that whatever you're selling, you know how to deliver results. Well, it was just kind of very different, as I said, for different from what a lot of people have come on here and said. So it was kind of like, Ooh, how is that going to work? I was wondering. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's why yeah. I needed that little to back that up a little bit. So I'm glad you did. 
<laughs> so then tying that with your three systems. So mm. you're thinking about, you're getting in front of cold audiences, right? So you need a system to do that. Um, you know, because I, I imagine like, I don't know, like even as a photographer, I'm just trying to sort of tie all this together. So when I first was doing photography, I was doing like all the things, you know, and I was, you know, doing wedding photography, family photography, dog photography, seniors, like you name it, I've done it. And I was doing it because I would see other photographers kind of doing that. I'm like, Ooh, that looks like fun that, you know, again, that shiny object syndrome of like trying different things and figuring it all out. And eventually I reached a point where it's like, I am burning, burning out. I was mainly weddings and families and I niched down to brand photography. And that's like where my zone of genius is. And that's where I focus on. So, you know, I'm wondering if there was like sort of this like underlying, like like, did I, I want, I'm wondering if I had those systems in place to start to like avoid that. Like, how can people that are like creating these offers and like not get stuck in the rut of saying, I want to offer this. And like, maybe it's not getting traction quite yet, but then they see something somebody else is doing. And then they're like, they immediately want to jump to that and like, try that. But to your point or not earlier, you know, earlier in our discussion, you're like, you're not giving it enough time to like marinate and like actually work. So like, how do these systems come into play when we're just starting out and we're trying to test these offers or validate these offers and not get sucked into like immediately pivoting without having the proof to pivot or just the, you know, innate urge to pivot because somebody else is doing it and they're supposedly making a bunch of money doing whatever. Mm-hmm. And this is why the validation process is so important and why that pimply teenage stage of business is so important to not embrace. I mean, it's, it's sucky. It's like, it feels like it's hard to get every single client or every single customer. It's definitely like pushing a big boulder up a mountain at that stage. It's hard to get the initial momentum, but it's so important to give yourself some room for experimentation in the beginning so that you can have that realization of like, oh, I really like these types of clients because there's a lot of assumptions that we can make in the beginning of our business that when the rubber hits the road, I almost liken it to like dating. So like we have our list, like, oh, this is my perfect partner. But then you start to date somebody that's really good on paper. And it's just like, oh, oh, there's like something here that's not working. So that happens in business a lot. We might think we know what our ideal client is or what our ideal offer is, but it doesn't always. That's uh, so funny. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It doesn't always result in us riding off into the sunset. (laughs) Okay. Yep. So yeah. Validation first to make those decisions, to make that discernment. Then the long-term process that happens after that is to build momentum in whatever your chosen direction is. That makes a lot of sense to me. I feel like I have a lot of work to do on this. Don't, don't you, Jesse? Are you actually, Jesse's pretty much got it all handled. She's got the whole thing. She, you kind of started that way, Jesse. And well, yeah, I was just did. saying like, yeah, I did all the things and like, you know, and it was, a, it was a long process. I started doing photography yeah. back in like 2013 and it was just, it was 2018 when I finally was like, no more weddings. Nope. Not going to do this mm-hmm. anymore. Part of it was part burnout. Part of it just was like my, like, I didn't feel like e- after each season, I would be like, I want to book less clients. And like, who says that? I mean, unless you really want to yeah. sort of get into the Lux market and that's not where I wanted to be. So I was just like, I don't want to work. I don't want to do this anymore. And like, you can't build a business if you don't want to do what it is your business what does. What it is you're doing. Yeah. And with me, it was my, 
I have a blog and, you know, I started off my blog just kind of like I was, I started it as sharing my travels and then I just was like blogging about whatever was like coming to mind. And then I finally realized I'm like, well, this is not doing anything for me. And I've kind of narrowed it down to, you know, travel, lifestyle, fashion, and kept it at that. And I think that that's, I think I even have to, it's almost like the idea of niching down, really finding that, that specialty that you're going to focus on. Um, this is a, this conversation took an entirely different, entirely different turn than I thought it would, but I love, I, I mean, I always love the shows where that happens. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Yeah, definitely. I think, I think, um, for me, I think it's really important that our audience understands that this can take, you know, a, a deep, not a long process, but it's, you know, there's no, you know, you don't have to rush to the finish line. Like, you know, there's going to be mm-hmm. nuggets along the way that it's going to be like better for you to find as opposed to just trying to, you know, skip ahead, not validate those offers, put all this energy and time into yeah. getting the perfect sales system or funnel and then just have it flop. So, um, well, I think, and I think we, when we decide on what we're going to do, we're just so gung, you know, we think it's the best idea in the world. Right. And we're just so gung ho on something and we just want to push it, push it, push it. And then we might find that it really doesn't resonate. We might've thought it was a great idea, (laughs) but maybe it doesn't resonate with everybody else, you know, Mm -hmm. out there. And Mm -hmm. so I think that it is what you're saying is, is, is interesting because in, in making, finally making that sale and then kind of going to build the brand, we, that sale, whether it happens or not, can kind of inform what the brand is going to eventually be. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. All right. You've just kind of turned all of our heads on like upside down with this this conversation. So, but again, that was awesome. Hey, where can people find out more about you as well as what you do and the services that you provide? I'm a good marketer to this day, even though I'm a brand strategist these these days. So I'm Kay Putnam pretty much everywhere. I'm actually hosting a free event called Type Quest, where people can explore their brand archetypes uh, mm. shortly, later this month. So that is going to be super exciting and free if you want to dip your toe in the water and start to play with this, this one half of the framework that we talked about here on today's call. But Thank you so much for for having me. This was such a fun conversation. It was unexpected for me where it went as well. <laughs> like you said, this is the best types of conversations when we can follow our curiosity and and challenge ideas and mm-hmm. have a conversation that matters. So thank you so much. Yes, I thank think you it so much for being always important. Yes, thank you. And I think it's always so important that sometimes, you know, where we like to answer questions on our shows, sometimes I think it's even more important for people to walk away with some questions of, you know, of their own. So hopefully people will get in touch with you and and uh, get those answers. So thank you Amazing. so much, Kay. Thank you. So I know I was kind of harping on the whole, like, everything she had to say about making the sale before you finish your branding. Um, but it really did. It, 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 while it makes total sense and how she explained it and kind of veered off from our topic of shiny ta- marketing tactic syndrome, like it really did. It threw me for a loop. Well, I think it actually does tie back to that, um, you know, pretty well in the idea that you want to sort of focus in on creating this initial offer. Number one, because then it's going to be able to help inform like all of your other strategy because you can say, okay, I've got this, this viable offer here. And then 
you know, reevaluate, okay, who is buying this? That's going to be your client avatar and all the other things that follow. Um, you know, I think it is a little bit different than what we've heard from other strategists, but then what that also enables you to do is to also say, this is what I'm doing. And this is the strategy that's right for me and get those other systems in place. She was talking about to avoid all the other noise out there, all the other tactics. Yeah. I think. And as I I said, we're just constantly bombarded with ads and do this for your job. And as you said, you know, earn $10,000 in three months and, or get 10, you know, especially since followers or, you know, growing our audience usually equals more sales, you know, get 10,000 followers using, you know, these tactics or something like that. It's, it's, it's a lot. I think, yeah, there's so many different ways to market out there, but starting with your sort of core basics, getting that viable offer out there, understanding your brand archetype, and developing that strategy. And mm-hmm. while at the same time within that strategy, those three systems she was talking about is really what she's recommending. So I, I definitely enjoyed our conversation. I think our audience is going to get yeah. a lot of value out of this. So hopefully you would all enjoyed this conversation with Key. K. I want to say Key for some reason, but it's K. <laughs> all right, Key. Uh, Yes, I totally agree with you, Jesse. So thanks so much for listening to Cocktails and Content Creation. Make sure to join our Facebook group, Cocktails and Content Creation Committee. We also really love it if you'd go on to wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a review. I I actually will check on the reviews every once in a while, and we've got some really great ones. Um, so who knows? Maybe we might read your review sometime on the podcast. So head, head, there, head to wherever you're listening and leave us one of those five stars reviews. We'd love to hear what you have to say. I'm Kate Andrews, and you can follow me on Instagram at FashionlyKateInco. And I'm Jesse Wyman. You can follow me on Instagram at Jesse Wyman Photos or at the Brand Photographer Method if you are interesting, you know, interested in going from all the things down to brand photography. Uh, make sure to tune in next time for another great episode of Cocktails and Content Creation. Until then, cheers to your next cocktail. And happy content creating. Thank you.